Disclaimer, I am a counseling student, I am not a mental health professional, and I cannot give or offer mental health services. You are listening to Good You. I'm your host, Samantha, and today I sit down with Ashley from Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 podcast. Um, Today we're going to be talking about mental health care for marginalized communities. So it's going to be a pretty tough topic today. And I I thank you, Ashley, for coming on this platform to discuss this topic with me and share your wisdom and your experience and the experience of the guests that you've had on your podcast as well. And a lot of our talk today has to do with being a culturally competent healthcare worker, whether that's mental health care or physical health care, why it's important to have cultural competence in your background. We talk a lot about why there's mistrust in healthcare between the healthcare system and marginalized communities. And just overall, this will be what it looks like to have a constructive conversation around these topics. So again, thank you so much, Ashley. Be sure to go follow her and her podcast, Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. And let's get started. Okay, I'm here with Ashley from the podcast, Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for today. And Simon's already making his appearance, (laughs) um, his debut. Um, (laughs) Furry co-hosts, I love them. Yes, a furry co-host. Hopefully he stays quiet today. Um, (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about uh, mental health care for marginalized communities. And I really do appreciate you coming and talking about uh, this on our platform today and uh, spreading the message. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to get into this. Awesome. So why don't we just, you tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah, of course. So my name is Ashley. Um, By day, I'm a project manager. Um, By night, uh, I host the podcast Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. It's a mental health podcast focused on destigmatizing mental health within the Black community, particularly among Black women. Um, And we focus on basically kind of stripping away the taboo of talking about mental health and learning about it with education um, and conversation. So we feature uh, psychologists, uh, counselors, uh, nurse practitioners, psych nurse practitioners, um, the, the whole gamut of the mental health world. And um, most times they are Black women, which I think is really important for us to see representation within our own community. Um, and we also have conversations with um, everyday Black women that want to come and talk about their own journey with their mental, with their men- own mental health care. So um, it's a lot of fun, but it, sometimes it does get emotional, but it, there's also a lot of education behind it. And that's, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the quick spiel for the podcast, but I've had it since 2020. We, I uh, started doing it with, a started it with a friend back in 2020, a good friend of mine. Um, she kind of took a step back early 2021, but we started it, um, in lieu of all the madness that was yeah. happening in 2020. Um, and we were both trying to figure out like, how do we 
somewhat form our own protest without necessarily being on the streets? Um, And also, how do we create a safe space for Black women to to come and heal and kind of learn about some of the things that they're experiencing but don't have the language for? Yeah. And that's like, what a powerful way to go about doing that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Like to be able to say everything that you need to say and also a safe, this is like a safe environment. You know, you get to be home doing it and amongst your like own community and also educating other people. Like, you know, we always talk about that. It's, it's no one's job to educate others. And at the same time, it's nice where people can still come and listen and get experiences and listen to experiences. Because I think I learned a lot from hearing experiences over like looking up on Google, um, just research and both are very important. You have to do both. You have to do both. And it's your job to do both. Um, and listening to experiences, I think was just the more powerful way of learning for me. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I learn I learn something new every single episode with every person that I speak to. Um, we are the majority of the people on the podcast are black women and we all share similar experiences and um, similar hurdles in life but we're also very different from each other so regardless of like where you're from where your parents may be from how you grew up um, everybody brings something a little bit different to the podcast whether they're whether they're a mental health professional talking about their own experiences Um, or whether they're just an everyday Black woman that's talking about how they've had to navigate uh, mental health spaces or healthcare um, and how they've had to manage their own mental health. So I think my hope is like when people come and listen to the podcast, no matter who you are, what you look like, that you pull something from it, Um, whether it's learning something about somebody's own experiences or um, learning something about mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you so much for coming and sharing it on this podcast. Yeah, um, sure. And and I'm glad that you you brought that up too, because what people may not realize that are listening, or even obviously people that aren't listening, uh, but that there are three aspects to to being a black female, and that's one the being black, one being female, and then being black female, because that's also in your own community that there's negative stereotypes around being a black female. And I I didn't even ask that in there, but um, I'd love if you'd be able to kind of talk about that to introduce the next question. Yeah, for sure. So there are, I guess I'll talk a little bit about within the larger society, looking in on the black community, there's typically three stereotypes that kind of float around that black women tend to be lumped in. The first is a strong black woman which seems, and even me growing up, I thought, well, if I'm going to be a stereotype, I guess, I guess I'll take that one. And within our own community, that's something that's always reinforced. You have to be strong. Like that's the first thing you're taught growing up. And typically, even if you have brothers, the girls, like you have to be strong. You don't have any other choice. Um, And a lot of times society ends up looking at us as like, oh, you're a strong black woman. And that kind of takes away the option of being weak and it also takes away the option of people being able to perceive your responses to things as anything other than abrasive or aggressive because you're so strong and like I have no choice but to be intimidated by you so if you're having a bad day or if you're just expressing yourself and oftentimes people take offense to that or 
they kind of put you into a box. It's like, oh, she's so strong. There's no way that she's anxious today. There's no way that she's depressed. There's no way that she's going through stuff at home because if she was, she'd be strong enough to get through it. Um, mm-hmm. I've had people I work with say, oh my gosh, like, I know you're a strong black woman. And at, in the moment I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take that. And I remember thinking about it after, like, you have no clue of what I'm going through and you don't realize this is how I have to show up in order to be able to actually be in these spaces. Um, the other two stereotypes that um, often uh, circulate through our society uh, yeah. are the angry black woman and also kind of like the Jezebel video vixen. Um, and the angry black woman is one that I feel like tends to hurt us the most because um we deal with a lot of microaggressions and whether that be in the workplace, whether that be going to the grocery store, um, it's, it is exhausting, but it's something that again, in order to be able to stay in these spaces, to have access, um, access that is already limited to begin with when it, whether it become, whether it comes to job opportunities, whether it comes to healthcare, having that sort of access, um, being an angry black woman and being perceived as so can get you out of those spaces very quickly. Um, but it also creates a bit of an emotional cage for us. So it's a, it's trying to manage how to, how do I navigate this space and make sure I don't offend anybody and make sure I also don't show that I'm weak. So there's a lot to juggle. And then the Jezebel video vixen uh, stereotype um, is that third stereotype where we can be very hypersexualized um, without people seeing that we deserve to have sexual freedom as well. So um, I think for me, it's just being able to see uh, see ourselves as whole people because I think sometimes we take these stereotypes and these labels that society has given us, whether it be society as a whole or our own community has said, well, yes, you have that label and trying to take that away and figure out like, okay, who are we outside of these stereotypes? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, going hand in hand with the strong, like you're raised to think you have to be this way. And then you learn nothing towards mental health and what it's like to experience and express your emotions. So all this bottled up anger and frustration that comes out as the angry black woman. And it's like, people don't see that as like a call for, I, I, I've been taught to not know how to like express these emotions properly. And at the same time, having to figure out how to go about the world with dealing with microaggressions that people don't even notice or listen to or see. And then I'm getting like called out for being frustrated and pissed off at this point. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's not uh, very much grace given. Um, I I want to say I think things are changing. Um, I think through my own experiences, I think there's a, a a tiny shift happening, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, and I think 2020 kind of has taught me and a lot of the women that I've spoken to. There's a lot of work that need that needs to be done within society as to how we view black people, black women. Um, But for us, there's a lot of work that we have to do to be able to take ownership of our mental health and and to not be scared of, okay, what if I have depression? Like, can I say that? Like that's, nobody says I'm depressed. Like 
And if you say you're depressed, people don't really know what to do with it. Like, I don't know. I remember when I was younger, my grandma told me, you know, I remember the first time I called her and she just like sounded down. She was like, yeah, I'm depressed. And I, I was like a teenager. I don't know what to do with that information. My mom didn't know what to do with that information. So you just call her and make sure she's okay. And like, I wish I had the resources at that time to figure out, okay, maybe we need to go like have her see somebody maybe, but then you kind of get labeled as, okay, well, she's a little crazy or, right. you, know, you know, there's a, there's a whole nother, other aspect to it. So <clears throat> I think for me with the podcast, really having women that I appreciate everybody that comes on and says, I have been diagnosed with this, or I'm feeling this way because mm-hmm. there's 10 other black women out there that are like, oh, okay. I like my hands shake too, or my heart feels like I'm pounding, it's pounding out of my chest. And like my throat feels like it's closing sometimes when I get really, I don't know that word that it's blank for a lot of women. So to be able to say, oh, that maybe that is anxiety. Like maybe, okay, maybe I could talk to my primary care physician about it. We don't know that this stuff. And a lot of times for the black community, we wait so long because we either don't have the language, we don't have the access financially um that maybe there's people not within our community that are that we can actually go see and so we end up in the ER and a lot of black people end up going to use the ER for mental health support because I think a lot of people just don't know that the the other options that you have out there yeah absolutely and then which we're getting into into this episode is the being brushed off so um let's just jump into that question because I think that's a perfect segue into why is it more difficult for marginalized communities to have proper access to quality mental health care. Yes. All right. Well, <laughs> a long list. Right? Yeah, well, long yeah, list. I was about to say, uh, <laughs> I know we said an hour long episode today, but. <laughs> um, so there, there are quite a few barriers uh, when it comes to being able to access mental health period, healthcare period, mm-hmm. and then quality mental health. Yep. Um, for one, the impact of systemic racism uh, within the whole entire healthcare system is, uh, if you've ever read, if you want to read a book that helps, <laughs> helps break down the historical foundation of, of systemic racism within the healthcare system, Medical Apartheid is a great book. It's a super down. thick book. I, I'm barely through it. And I can't sit in it too long because it's semi like traumatic reading stuff. But um, the father, quote unquote, of of gynecology, we're going back to slavery here in America. The father of gynecology, and I don't remember his name, but he, he became famous off of all of the experimental trials, aka um, rape and uh, torture of women in slavery, children in slavery, performing these disgusting proce- procedures on them just to test out what may, what may work for white women. Um, and in that thousands of women are lost, babies are lost, um, are killed, murdered. Um, and that person was considered the and is still considered the father of gynecology. I'm pretty sure there's a statue of him somewhere. Um, but when you have that type of foundation within the healthcare system, and 
at no point in time does that get checked and does the overall healthcare system turn and say, okay, we still use tools. We still use the speculum that you have to deal with in, in your yearly exam that was created by him. Um, so at no point, it feels like nobody has, I think for black women in particular, the overall healthcare system, um, feels like there's never a point where everybody goes, stop, let's figure out what was, what part of this foundation has been laid in racism has been grown in racism and how can we take that apart disassemble it and make sure that we are here for everybody um that that's going way way back but if we even go to like the 60s and 70s and even till today um there are still people in medical school and there's a guy on instagram and i cannot remember his name um but he has a great instagram he's actually in medical school young black guy Um, And he talks about the things that he's learning that are racist, inherently racist. So that gives you an example of the healthcare system in and of itself still has veins of racism pumping through it. Um, And yeah, go ahead. Uh, I I, I don't want to stop you. I just want to like add add in here that this also goes into mental health care, like not only into medical health care, but it is, it is mind blowing what you learn about in school and you hear how much it was built around to in favor of cis white men, your centric white males. Like that is the um, population that that was serving, that everything is serving, that everything is centered around and even, and, and European centric white women. And like, that is, what no one realizes. And I think one thing that people don't realize is that just like the acknowledgement of it, just people being able to acknowledge this one, obviously people don't know about it because people don't do the research on it, but then to be able to acknowledge it, like that this is what is happening and this is what it's built around and then doing something about it. But the more quiet they keep it. Yeah. The more quiet they keep it, the the more these veins just continue to pump, Yeah, you know, throughout this system. And like you said, it leaks into other aspects, particularly mental health care. So um, the other pieces of that include like higher poverty rates um, mm-hmm. among those who are experiencing higher poverty rates within our community um, are two times more likely to report serious psychological distress than those living above it. So um, that you know, that plays a part in everything. If you don't have the money to, I mean, going to the emergency room alone is expensive. That we're not even talking about going to your primary care physician. Right. Um, the access to having healthcare insurance, being able to pay for healthcare insurance for your entire family, um, that cost alone per month can be hefty for people with maybe one or two kids. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a single mom or a single dad. Maybe it's two pa- a two-parent home and they're still not even re- reaching the average, you know, family income mm-hmm. across America. So you compound those things with, okay, my kid said that they're feeling depressed or their their whole their whole personality has just changed in a matter of a few months. Like I don't know what they're going through. You if you don't have the means to be able to say, I'm going to pay $150 a session yeah. every two weeks, yeah. 
well, you're not going to get the help you need. Um, not only that, but um, increased incarceration rates is something that affects our community. Um, just going back to healthcare insurance, almost uh, nearly 10% of Black people in the U.S. don't even have health insurance. And that, that's compared to about 5.2% of non-Hispanic white people in this country. Um, so within, across all communities, we have the lowest rates of people with health, health insurance. Um, that is a huge barrier. Yep. Having health insurance is like, once you get over that barrier, okay, now you have the health insurance. Now you have the access. Well, what do you do? Do you reach out to your primary care physician? Do you, like, who do you call? Right. And a lot of times we may not know what that next step is. Let's say you finally get through to that next step, right? So now you have financial access. Now you have healthcare. Now you actually get in, you call your health insurance and now you're looking for somebody that looks like you. Mm. Well, now the pool becomes a kiddie pool. Yeah. Not only that, they may not be 10 miles away. They may not be 20 miles away. Maybe they're 40 miles away. So then you say, okay, well, I don't have the ability to drive 40 miles back and forth twice a month or once a week. Right. So let me find somebody else. I'll find somebody that maybe they don't look like me, but maybe they have, maybe they treat anxiety or depression. Now I'm not saying that there aren't people that are not people of color that, that can help people of color, but there mm -hmm. are people with, and cultural competency and awareness within mental health care is something that is extremely important. Yeah. Um, like putting a little black square on your Instagram back in 2020, that doesn't count for anything. <laughs> yes. That's cute. It's performative. <laughs> it's like, great. High five. We all, you know, like the post, right. but doing the work in for mental health professionals that aren't a person of color or they aren't a black person, um, doing your due diligence, becoming culturally competent, becoming culturally aware makes people of color in particular black people when they come into your space and they feel acknowledged and they feel like there is an open space that you you know that you'll never quite understand what we're going through but the space is here and I'm here to help you a lot of times that's not what we experience so if you can imagine somebody that has gotten through these barriers of access finance financial access access through healthcare. Um, overcoming poverty and now they're sitting in your office or they're on a zoom call and now they're being met with the same microaggressions that yep. they came in for well a lot of times if there's already a stigma within our community of going and asking for mental help that a lot of times people just pedal back and they're like no i went to a therapist when i was uh a sophomore in high school, maybe a freshman, soft, maybe a sophomore in high school. And I, I was going through some stuff at the time. And I remember I walked in and it was this tall Hispanic guy and I stayed there for an hour, felt like we didn't go anywhere. And at the end of it, I was a really good basketball player back in the day. And at the end of it, he's like, okay, maybe next time you can bring your basketball tapes in and we can watch them. And I just remember leaving, like, why would I want to do that yeah for I'm what? over here having all types of crazy thoughts all types of like things that I don't understand what's going on with me 
I felt like we did nothing in this session and you want me to come in and bring in my basketball tapes for us to watch. I have coaches. I don't need to watch film with you. <laughs> and <laughs> are you paying me to watch these right. now? Like, how does this work? How is this working? Are we going to talk about plays? <laughs> so, and I don't know, you know, again, I was really young at the time. Um, and for my mom, that was a huge step for her to be able to actually get me to right. say yes. And it was embarrassing for me because I had to get pulled out of school in the middle of the day to go to this appointment. So my friends are like, Ashley, where'd you go? Well, my closest friends, I told them what happened, but I got my whole basketball team asking me why I wasn't at lunch. And that's embarrassing to me. I just said I had a doctor's appointment because right. you went to see a psychologist in the mm-hmm. middle of the day. I can't tell anybody that. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that was a, you know, a huge step for my mom to, to do something that's not big in our community. And then it was a huge miss and I never went, I didn't go back until I was in my mid twenties. So it's little things like that. Being culturally competent is really, really important. Um, being able to find people that look like us, um, that are mental health professionals is extremely important. Um, and then another barrier is just like cultural stigmas around mental health care. Um, usually there's a, there's a study back from 2000 that shows that African-Americans seeking treatment are less likely to be offered evidence-based medication therapy or psychotherapy. So that goes back to the quality of mental health care that we actually have access to. Um, There's also a quote I saw the other day, black women are not always accounted for in clinical trials. So we're severely underrepresented black people as a whole um, people of color as a whole. Uh, so there's often underdiagnosis, misdiagnosis and undertreatment when it comes to depression in black women. Um, that's just depression. That's not the whole gamut of mental health illnesses and disorders that are out there. So there's, there's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, yeah. (laughs) And, And one, one thing that's so important is now too, in, um, I, th- I think it's across the board schools that have K CREP programs uh, for counseling that we have a multicultural counseling course now. Um, and I took that last semester, just kidding, sorry, not the summer, the spring. And yes, <laughs> all over the place. Um, but it was, you know, I feel like I had known a lot going in. But the information I know now due to that class is uh, like, I, I, first off, the teacher I had was so gracious with this class too, because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm in the, in the South and uh, I think people get uncomfortable talking about subjects like this in, in class. And, and you could tell there were people who were uncomfortable about it but they got their own experience from it too. And that's why it's important. You know, one thing my teacher would say is like, go watch movies that make you extremely uncomfortable and sit through it and figure out how to deal with those emotions. Because how are you supposed to sit with a client and not understand and be able to still be a therapist, right? Mm. And, And one thing too, is that just being able to be, like you said, culturally, culturally competent with your clients 
So uh, one thing about being culturally competent that's so important, obviously multiple things, but is that the diagnosing and knowing what you're seeing in front of you, because your clients from different cultures show their diagnosis differently. Like for, for example, um, anxiety in, in white women or white people in general can show with, they'll say it like, I I know what I'm feeling. I know what I'm experiencing, but like what we talked about earlier in the black community, it's, I don't know what I'm feeling. So it comes off as physical because anxiety can show physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. So like, you have to be able to know like, Oh, this you're having back pain and you're having heart palpitations and you're having all these uh, like 10 shoulders and like things like this, but I don't understand what's happening. It's not knowing that what that stress, like, like, for example, like white people using stress, I'm stressed out, I'm anxious versus like, I don't know, I just, I'm having this pains and there's the difference there. Like that's what gets underdiagnosed because it's the ignorance within the, within the profession. And it's our responsibility to be able to know the differences in the cultures and how that represents so that we can be responsible and practice ethically and best practice. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think being open to learning Mm -hmm. um, and working with other professionals, other mental health professionals and that are within those communities Yep. and being open, like you said, to uncomfortable conversations because out after that uncomfortable conversation is you being able to serve your clientele better, you being able to serve the people that you work with a lot better. And I think, um, yeah, that it's, it's an, it's a forever learning experience. I think, um, there, there is so much to learn about race and culture within this country. And even just speaking specifically about black people, black people in this country, excuse me, are not a monolith. Black people in this country, we all have similar experiences with the outside world, I guess you would say. Yeah. But we all are, are different people. There's cultures within our community. Um, my family is Jamaican. Um, my dad, who is like not my biological father, but that's the one God sent me. <laughs> yes. He's Black American. So even just growing up, it's two different cultures. Yep within one um there's the african community there's the west indian communities the afro-latina community um and i think some people don't realize that within those communities there's even more yep cultural Huge. you know yep details <laughs> that absolutely can be overlooked so you'll never know everything but i think always being open to to learning new experiences and figuring out how do I apply that? How does that look differently in the West Indian community than it may look in a, com- a community of people that are from Africa? Maybe they weren't part of stolen people that have been here for a long time, but they are recently uh, migrated from Africa. It's a different part of the diaspora, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's um, I think as long as effort is made uh, continuously, yes. then there's hope that people can be more culturally competent and be more, and also be more confident. I feel like when you're working with people of color, because yes. I can imagine, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a black woman and I'm not a mental health professional, but I would imagine that there is a somewhat lack of confidence when you may not have any black friends, you may not have any people of color that are your friends. And now you have a black person sitting in front of you talking about, 
how they're still pissed off from from George Floyd or how they're still they just saw a video yesterday about somebody about police trauma yep so how do you navigate that when you don't even you don't even talk to people that look like them in your everyday life so the thing is like if you have no experience whatsoever you you can't like you can't properly do it you can't you can do the most basic techniques that we're taught and if you do them properly you still can probably fuck up because you know why like you're not aware of you the microaggressions you might be using because if you're not aware of these things you literally can't understand that you're doing it yeah Uh, like um one thing we talked about in class too is the thing what makes it hard for white people to be able to talk about this and to like admit their part in in the whole system in general is the shame and guilt behind it and you know and you'll i'm sure here the white people say like i don't feel like i didn't do anything like that blah 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 that was forever ago but the thing is like it's not forever ago it's happening now and mm-hmm. when you educate yourself to these things that's when you start to see it and like honestly i say this every time once you freaking see it you can't unsee it And you see it everywhere. You Mm -hmm. will never unsee it. But until you remove those rose colored glasses. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know it looks all nice and bright and everything's fine in there, but the world's fucking burning. (laughs) So in the (laughs) meantime, enjoy (laughs) yourself, I guess. We'll just be over here. Yeah. It's, It's a big ask to ask somebody to say, why don't you take your view that mm-hmm. looks really, really great and in your area of comfort that you've been living in for yep. a long time and dismantle that. That's a big ask for somebody, but if you really want to do the work and you're not just saying it, you're not just being performative. If you really want to do the work, the world is better on that side because you realize how much you've been a part of yes all this shit that's been going on. Exactly. And I think taking ownership and now trying to dismantle that within your own circle of friends, within your family, within yourself as an individual, I think we're all better for it. But that is, I mean, it's asking for somebody to kind of like, okay, you got to leave the mansion and you got to come out into the community out here. Well, why would you want to leave the mansion? So if you, (laughs) if you want to leave the mansion and you want to come out here, come outside with everybody and really start to do the work, yeah. And you want to actually help people. If not, please tell the people that are people of color, specifically black people that try to come and use your services, that they are not your demographic, because I would rather you tell them that I'd rather you say that, Hey, I have somebody else that's, that's more equipped to Absolutely. help you than you further traumatizing them and disguising it as mental health perfect way to put that like (laughs) cherry on top. Absolutely. And this also applies to other marginalized communities like LGBTQ. Please, please don't just don't like the main thing we learn too is to like, whatever your values are as a therapist, fantastic. Abide by them outside of the therapy room, because I'm not supposed to put my values on my client that doesn't have the same values as me. Like if for a therapist who doesn't believe in gay marriage, right. And then has a client come in and maybe 
express I'm having these feelings. And then maybe that therapist tries to talk them out of it. I like, I know someone that that's happened to like, eh, probably just picturing it. And for years they just didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like it's, but it, and it's the same thing with black community. And Mm -hmm. it just, if you're not competent, stick within what you are competent with. Yes. 100%. Then you can make the decision if you want to become culturally competent, but leave us alone (laughs) if that's not what you want. Yes. Don't try to get an extra person on your, you know, extra client just because it would help you financially or whatever. Leave us alone. (laughs) Just do us the, at least just send us where we need, you know, where we are. Refer, refer out. Affirmed. God. Yes, refer out. So yeah, I mean, I think within the black community, there are, of course, the LGBTQ community. There's also pieces of the black community that are uh, faith is a huge mm-hmm. part of the black community. Uh, spirituality is a huge part of the black community, particularly when you're talking about other cultures within the community. So yeah, if you don't know, if you feel like you get done with that ser- first session, and you're like, this, this isn't going to work, please just just say it I (laughs) rejection early up front is okay (laughs) but you dragging me on and then me realizing two years in after I I spent all this money that you actually don't really yeah just send it somewhere else (laughs) absolutely and and for anyone looking for a therapist and wants to make sure that they're looking within people who have experience or say that you know they work with certain, uh, populations and communities, you can filter that when I'm, I just, if you see me looking on the computer, I just went to psychology today because I wanted to see how to do it. So I could explain, you can go on psychology today and you click on, uh, you know, therapist near me, click on more. And then it, uh, you can see that it says, uh, age populations, ethnicity, population, sexuality, language, faith, and, and then sort by price too. So like, just make sure to have those tools on your belt too, so that you know that you can't do, just do what you can. And also you don't have to pick the first therapist that comes along just because you already talked to them. And that's just take that 15 minute consult. Okay. And use yes, it. Take it. Cause yeah. I took a, quite a few before <laughs> as you my should first, my therapist a few years ago, <laughs> yeah. therapy shopping. Okay. Yes. A shopping yes. spree. <laughs> yes. If you're not really feeling that first conversation, Please don't spend your money there. Exactly. Please go somewhere else. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that, God, that was, I, I'm glad I had that question in and it led to all those amazing topics. Um, I'm going to go to the next question. I know you have an episode coming soon. So um, yeah, all good. I have still, still got time. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. So mental health has been negatively stigmatized uh, for centuries. Mm-hmm. What are some of the stigmas associated with mental health, mental disorders that you've seen in, within your own community? And I know we touched on it a little, but diving into it a little more. Yeah, for sure. So um, particularly within uh, the black community, mental health or mental health, your mental health or mentally being mentally unwell is seen as a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that kind of goes back to tying to particularly for women, that strong black women trope. Um, so when you're supposed to be strong, cause I know across different cultures, weakness, mentally, mental illness can be seen as weakness, but particularly for us, because we're supposed to be sh- showing up as strong and we shouldn't be crying. And, you know, we shouldn't be taking time for ourselves because we need to recharge, um, being seen as weak is, is 
a huge burden to carry. Um, another piece is lack of faith. So oftentimes when you're uh, seeking mental help, you're seen as, well, the response that you get, especially if uh, for the people, for the Black people that are uh, Christian and very much in the in in the Bible, very much into church <laughs> and churches part a huge part of the community, if not all of their community, um, it can be seen as a lack of faith, and you can actually be kind of demonized as like, mm. you know, you should just be praying in a way. Like, why can't you just pray to God? And how dare you not pray to God and just get rid of your depression because if you didn't if you would have prayed if you would have had a little bit more faith if you would have leaned on him a little bit more well then you wouldn't have this depression you wouldn't have this anxiety thing you wouldn't have bipolar disorder so that's a huge thing in our community and and I think I won't get into that because where the onus is on that one um but I think the church has a lot of responsibility there absolutely um and then something uh, something else is that we don't often like to name what we have because in our community, it's just kind of described as like, oh, it's that uncle that's a little off. He's a little, you know, he's a little crazy. Don't mind him. Okay. That's something that is how we kind of acknowledge it, but mm-hmm. we still don't name it because either we don't know the name, we've just accepted this person the way they've been. Maybe they're schizophrenic and nobody knows what schizophrenia is <laughs> or, or <laughs> what it looks like like or what it looks like exactly yeah. and so people just like well you know we figured out how to like you know make sure he's still part of the family but he's just doing his thing over there but no and that person is has also not received treatment potentially right um and if they have nobody else knows about it because it's a big secret um another piece is is we just don't have time for that. And I think that's the biggest thing, even like I heard that all the time growing up, like it was very mental health and like going to see a psychologist was was deemed as very much a white thing to do. Um, I think we're really working on as a community dismantling that these past like five-ish, 10 years. But when I was growing up and I'm sure kids now, I'm sure people now have been told like, we just don't have time. We have to, we've, for a lot of us, it's been generations and generations of survival. So especially if your people are from here or from other areas within the diaspora, South America, West Indies, um, if, if that's where your people landed, then you have been just surviving for generations and generations. So I, I feel like we're, we're at a point now where we can shift and like, okay, we're surviving, but how can we start to thrive? And taking care of our mental health is a, piece, is a piece of that so trying to get out of that like we don't have time for that we just got to go 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 um that's yeah. a huge piece and I think a huge reason why um mental health issues are there's a huge stigma you know within our community yeah and I, I mean it, it had to be within the last like honestly couple of years like yeah. I feel like this younger generation yeah, go Gen Z. Exactly. They're freaking awesome. They're <laughs> so like awesome. Fearless, like <laughs> go them. They they're yeah. killing it. And and that's they they will be that generation that makes changes, like big changes yeah. because it's it's 
the parent, like my parents' generation, I don't know. I think they're, I would have to think they're baby boomers. Uh, that generation, it's, that's where the stigma is coming from that their parents and so on up uh, from there then on. But, uh, you know, I see TikToks now, people being like, just got back from my therapist's office. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, girl. Yes. 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 It should be the same as like, oh, I had to go to see my eye doctor today. Yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. And maybe now something's wrong with my eye. So I got to go every two weeks. Well, it's the same with your brain. Like, why can't we treat our brains like we treat a broken ankle? Like it should be the same. And it shouldn't absolutely. be a stigma within our family, within our friends. Like, you know, like, I, I love seeing the kids. I love seeing like, I love seeing kids talk about it. And I say kids, oh my gosh, I'm 32. Um, <laughs> I, I'm realizing that I'm starting to call 20 year olds kids. I did that the other day. Like, oh my gosh, they're not a child. That's a grown person right there. But I, I'm happy that like Gen Z is like this younger generation um, is being fearless. You know, yeah. I think it's, like from like coming out and really embracing each other and really figuring out not not just tolerating people but really figuring out okay how do we embrace everybody how do we learn about this like who am I like really just doing this self reflection and and self um there's like finding themselves yeah out in the open like I feel like I'm watching people grow on screens which is crazy um but I think it's going to be, I think they're going to be better for it. Um, and just being open with each other. Like I have a friend of mine and, um, yeah, the way her, but I've known her brothers and sisters since they were little, little babies. And now they're all like teenagers. And I think a couple of <laughs> them are in their early twenties and I'm like, oh my gosh, but the stuff that she's telling me is like, they're willing to talk to her about things that we would not have talked to, you know, anybody about. So that just makes me really, really happy. And I think it'll affect their parents too, hopefully. Absolutely. Exactly. It, it, ha- it has to bleed out a little, you know, even, even just a little. Um, yeah. And that's something that like one thing that with Gen Z's tactics is like, sometimes it's aggressive to get yeah. across and I'm like, I love it. Listen, I'm all here for it. Get, yeah. get, get your point across. Um, and I think what from the way that I've seen, it's just when we have those communication skills to where we can sit down and talk logically with people who don't understand and don't have the information or the, the competence, it's, it's, that's when I've seen actual, like little, like the click, you yeah. see it, you that see it. Ding. Yeah. And then <laughs> the like, going off. <laughs> and I'll take it. I'll take that win and I'll yes. walk away. Like, yeah. Because sometimes when you're yelling your point across, like it just doesn't resonate. It, it, you can't, all you're hearing is yelling. And like, I get it because it's frustrating, especially for these, these, the gen, like Gen Z growing up, seeing it and being like, how are y'all so blind? Like yeah. what is wrong with yeah. you guys? And so they're pissed, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay. So the lack of support for marginalized communities has created a distrust for the healthcare system. So we were talking about that earlier uh, and how it was basically brought up uh, hurting the black community and other different communities. Um, What are some common issues that you have heard or witnessed involving discriminatory or dismissive behaviors of healthcare professionals in in the system? 
Uh, I think the, <clears throat> excuse me, the biggest one that I've experienced, but also um, people I've talked to, my own family members is just the actually going to the doctors and then the providers not listening or not believing you. Right. Um, that's a big thing. I know um, particularly, and I don't know the exact stat, but I know for black women in particular and black people in general going to the ER, but for black women, um, a lot of times when we say we're in pain, um, we're often thought to be on drugs. Um, and that's like, whether we're pregnant or not pregnant, right. it doesn't matter what the pain is for. Um, but oftentimes it, the assumption is that, oh, they're just on drugs. Um, the other issue is people just not uh, thinking that we can manage more pain than other people. Um, and that's something that is directly from yep. the medical community. That's what people have been taught for generations and generations. So when you see that doctor that's 60 years old, well, when he was in that, in school, he was taught that Black people just don't experience pain the same way other people do. So don't give them as much. So um, that, that's a huge thing. Um, an example, going back to not being believed, um, the one, one thing that comes to mind is Serena Williams, when she was having her baby, after she had her child, after she had that cute little baby, I think her name is Olympia. Um, she had said, and it expressed to the doctor, look, I'm in pain, something's not right. And she had given them some more information around like the pain that she was feeling um, and where it was. And she's like, I've had this pain before. I think I may have a blood clot. Like I don't, something is not right. And they, can you imagine being Serena Williams? I think, of, I think she's the greatest athlete of all time. And that's me as a basketball fan saying she's the greatest athlete of all she, time. Badass. And having, having access, having access to financial means, having access to the best doctor yep. and you're in the hospital, you just delivered your baby. And still somebody yep. looks at you and decides, no, I don't believe you. Yep. So it, imagine uh, someone who's not Serena someone Williams. Not. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you have Serena Williams who ended up, I think I wanted to say, I, I think she had a blood clot mm -hmm. um, or she might've had deep vein thrombosis, but she had a life-threatening situation going on in her as an, I'm not comparing myself to Serena, but as a former athlete, um, you know, your body. Yeah. Um, and not even just athletes. So everybody, when something is wrong with your body, you know. So for her to, it's just really um, frustrating to to hear that story and to hear somebody like her is still being ignored. So how can little me at the hospital down the road guarantee that somebody's going to hear me? So right. um, that that's a huge thing. Um, and then the assumption that we're just, not deserving of the proper care. Um, and that kind of goes back to earlier when I mentioned that particularly in mental health, uh, black women are underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Um, and so it just feels like we've been kind of shoved to the side. So um, the other piece, uh, as far as like a common issue and I guess it's kind of is a barrier slash a common issue that, that, mm -hmm people experience is we're just not included or not uh, not included in mental health studies um and we're rarely the focus of them so how do you create cultural competent communities of mental health providers when people of color aren't in 
the actual that you're studying. So correct. Yeah. It, exactly. And like, you're also then getting this information for more white people. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> when can we become the focus? So yeah, again, that's the, um, yeah, that, that to me is like the epitome of like, okay, just a diversity check. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's one black person in the office. Great. Move on with my life. So there's one black person in the study. Great. We, we feel better now. Maybe we'll throw an Asian person in there too. Oh, there's a native American. Great. Let's throw them in there too. Right. All right. Now we feel better. There's a pool of 400 people, but we've got three people of color. Check. That's not what inclusion is. Like that's not what diversity is. So being able to have us in the room, in the studies, um, and not just like a check off of somebody's exactly. box to make them feel better is super important. Exactly. And like talking about like kind of going back like a step is the, the, the amount, you know, I talk about having to advocate for yourself uh, and your mental health. Like when you go seek a counselor, like, and you think, huh, that sounds like a red flag from my therapist, mm-hmm. like, and having to advocate for yourself in therapy. Imagine having to do that everywhere. Every time you go to the doctor's office, to your counselor, like you, and you're on the lookout, like even maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just a guess. Like, is it like, okay, I see another, uh, another black doctor or another, like a black nurse. Okay. Like I, I like it provides maybe more comfort than just seeing all white doctors yeah. around. Like 100%. it's like, yeah. And we, and you don't, for white people listening who, I mean, if you, if you, I feel like if you're listening to this point too, like you, you can, you already know that, you know, that you look around and you don't have to worry about that. That's not, that's never a question for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, you don't get pulled over and are scared for your life. Like mm-hmm. this, th- these are, this is where it still exists that people like to, um, uh, brush over that yeah. this, these systems that were created this way and still exist and are built on the foundation, um, to hurt to hurt marginalized communities yeah so if it was built to hurt us and it was never fixed then what's it doing it's still hurting us what literally and they're they're claiming to help so yeah so yeah i think like having uh, now i would say uh, in a i wouldn't even say a dream world but i think as a black person you hope you go into these spaces hoping like i've been to the er a lot of times in the past few years, but when I go in and I see somebody that looks like me, it's like, okay, all right. Just in case something, you know, I know that person nine times out of 10 is going to have my back. Yeah. Um, But it can't all be on us. And I think we had mentioned that earlier. It's not all on, we only make up 13% of the population. So it can't be on us. We only make up, I want to say 0.02% of mental professionals. And I may have that wrong. Um, but it's like less than 1% of people that look like us that are black women in particular in the mental health space, um, as providers. So it is the onus should be on everybody. Um, I just looked it up 4.1%. Okay, well, that's better than what I thought it was. So, and, <laughs> but, but, but like, still, it's it, that. Like, okay, let me here. I'm gonna pull that back back up. It's um, 
Okay. This is just therapists too. This isn't talking about psychologists, psychiatrists. That's not included. This is therapists, uh, white 76.4% Asian 10.6% Hispanic or Latino 6.3% and black or African-American 4.1%. Yeah. Small, small percentage. So yeah. And that percentage is growing. I will definitely, I definitely want to give kudos to all of the Black people that are entering the mental health space. And, and it's it's very interesting on my podcast because a lot of Black women are like, I needed help and I couldn't find the help I needed. So I'm here. I'm in this space because of that, which is like, I'm like bowing down to them, like kudos to y'all, but it's not, it's not all on them. Right. Exactly. It's got to be like, everybody's got to take a little bit of that weight. It's got to be evenly distributed so that everybody can be helped. Yeah, absolutely. So so if you're listening to this to educate yourself and learn more about it, like kudos to you too. So like you're yes. doing, you're doing your part. Do you do diligence? Yes. <laughs> yes. Literally <laughs> required a requirement. Yes. Um, so I think, let's see, I think we kind of touched on number five. Would you be comfortable about uh, answering six? I, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Uh, so, so what are some of your own experiences, uh, when it comes to mental health within your own family, if you'd be comfortable sharing. Yeah, of course. Um, well, the podcast is called black girls have anxiety too. So, um, I am a black girl with anxiety as is something that I, um, manage day to day or attempt to manage. Um, but that's something that I realized I was experiencing for a really long time. And then I believe, man, I want to say four or five years ago, I reached out as an adult and got a therapist Mm -hmm. and finally started to put a name on uh finally started understanding like what I was going through um so yeah anxiety has been a big one for me and it's kind of it started to creep into my life in ways that it was like I would just be experiencing these physical things that I I never really paid attention to before And I always had an outlet of like working out and due to some other health issues I was going through, I wasn't able to do that anymore. Mm. And so that just like compounded my anxiety. So like I've had like heart beating out of my chest. I've had two like full on panic attacks. Yeah. Um, One before I ever started therapy and I didn't really know what it was and I have asthma really bad. So I was like taking my pump and I'm like, I still can't breathe. Like, I don't know what's happening to me. And I was supposed to be getting on a plane to go to New Zealand like four hours after that so again I had to get my shit together and after the panic attack passed I put it in my back pocket and I was like I guess I'll figure it with figure out what that was later but it wasn't an asthma attack so um you know I later confirmed in therapy that it was a panic attack and um but growing up like I've dealt with depression quite a lot um it's still something that um I I don't I don't I haven't dealt with in the past year or so as much but um growing up that was something that was really really tough for me um there was points specifically in high school where like I was suicidal and that kind of landed me in my first therapy appointment um again in my community we don't really talk about suicide um and if you do talk about when you are suicidal it's like how dare you like you're mm. here um so there's a lot of shame around that i still carry some shame around that um but yeah i'd written like 
some notes on my like humpback computer that my mom had found in um that it was kind of like how dare you do this and you're going to therapy now and that's when I went to the one session and got asked if I wanted to bring my basketball tapes in so um I realized after that I'll just deal with this on my own and um yeah I kind of floated in and out of depression and found other ways to cope and took a lot of Ambien in college because I just thought I'm just going to sleep this away um so yeah I didn't I didn't really have great coping tools outside of working out um and then I I kind of in my I'm always I'm the person that likes to look at research and likes to read articles Mm -hmm. and like I look at what's going on not necessarily in the news because that's traumatizing sometimes but just as far as what's going on in psychology if I want to learn about something I'll go read about it so I want to say probably the past five six years I've been just trying to understand mental health Mm -hmm. and trying to learn as much as I can about it and trying to talk to people um and that's kind of how I landed at the podcast but um I also deal with uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder is something that I haven't been diagnosed with, but I've done an abundance of research. I've talked to, I've actually had the PMDD. Um, I've had, I, <clears throat> excuse me, the Inter- International Association of Premenstrual Disorders on my podcast and talked to them and connected with <clears throat> another Black woman who also deals with premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Um, and that's something that's directly for me linked to my endometriosis that I deal with. Mm. Um, and so trying to understand that when even within the medical community, it's still not in the DSM five. Um, so a lot of people don't actually know about it. And if they do, they don't necessarily acknowledge it. They're not trained Mm -hmm. on it. Um, and we are trying to be included in more studies. Shout out to Deja, uh, who's a patient advocate at IAPMD. Um, but there's, there's a lot to be learned around that. Um, and I think a lot more women should know that your, uh, your cycle could directly be affecting your mental health. Yep. Um, and it's okay. Cause there's also, I feel like a lot of shame around that. I always felt like, okay, on my cycle, I got to try to be like this superhero of a person and try yep. to mask all the stuff I'm going through. And I think, um, that probably just made things worse. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's because it's people have been putting women down for years, making like those, oh, you're on your period jokes and things like that. And you feel crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The best word you can. Yes. (laughs) That's the way to describe it. I feel like I'm losing my damn mind. Yes. Um, And yeah, with PMDD, it comes with a whole host of other, uh, other things that you go through month after month and for me like it's like physically it's a lot of nausea um, but mentally it's like it's like going through like you know for me depression is like this huge massive like gray cloud that just like lingers over you and makes you want to sleep and like you lose motivation for everything for things that you love that's how I know like when my depression is coming back where I just like I don't want to go hang out with my friends I don't want to go work out like what's happening and for me PMDD is like like that cloud isn't huge. It's like a smaller cloud, but the same feelings happen. Um, and then on top of that, for me, I experience suicidal ideation every month. So it's exhausting. Yeah. Um, but it's also something that um, my friend, uh, Melanie, she's she's the one that told me about it. 
and she's like super open with her mental health with me um and created a space for me to be like okay I'm kind of going through like similar stuff too like you've been going through this and so she had words for it I didn't have any words for it um and it made me go do more research and I was like hold on I'm going through the same stuff too like this is not nobody else is thinking like this like nobody else goes goes through this every month um but yeah that's why conversation is a really big thing for me for for my own podcast and I think even like your podcast being able to have these conversations um a lot of times we just got to hear somebody else say the same things that we're feeling in different words and we're like oh that's it like that's that thing I keep feeling or that's that thing my mom keeps talking about or that's that thing you know my husband keeps saying that he's feeling maybe this is you know maybe this is it like what's the next step how do we get help like who do we talk to yeah absolutely um sorry I like I I started just thinking about um what what you were saying with uh it just sounds like a lot of weight and I kind of just focused on that so thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that um and how validating is it when you do get that related response like and it's it's so amazing what you're doing like kudos to you with your podcast because you are getting to spread the message and like be a representation for your community in a way that it's it's okay to talk about this and like I didn't have that growing up but now you are your own like inner child healer as an adult oh yeah Mm. yes (laughs) that's that's a good point thank you I appreciate that I appreciate that um it's so funny people keep mentioning inner child somebody mentioned that on the last podcast and I was like I feel like this is a sign I need to like dig more into this but um shout out to you and you creating this platform while also being a student I don't know how you're doing it but you're doing it (laughs) because you know girl in in college or or even just like if I were to get into a master's program or anything I think I might have to press pause on this because I can't imagine trying to juggle being an everyday human and also doing all of those things so shout out to you for um like continuing to spread the word I think mental health is it's not a buzzword I think it was and it's here to stay yes (laughs) it's not a trend like mental so, health is here to stay. We're going to keep having these conversations and keep inviting more people yeah. into the conversations. But no, nah, I want to thank you for having me. I appreciate, you know, you, you inviting me. Uh, I think this was, this was great. Awesome. I'm so glad. That, and like, I had such a great time talking with you. Yeah, same. Um, you, you obviously you're so personal because you have podcasts. Like you, <laughs> like, I, I don't know many introverts that would be like, I don't want to talk to anybody, but you know what? I'm going to start a podcast. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll just talk to everyone at once. Yes. <laughs> so can like, now that we're here, can you please share uh, where everyone can follow you and where they can find you on Instagram or on any of the good stuff? Yes, for sure. So you can find me on Instagram at black girls have anxiety too. That's two with T O with T O's with two O's. <laughs> <laughs> you can also find me on TikTok. I'm finally on TikTok. Hey, okay. Video, you know, we're doing a little content. Um, but it's at black girls have anxiety too on TikTok as well. And then I am on Twitter at anxious black girl. That's B L K anxious black girl. Um, you can also find the podcast on anchor, Apple, Spotify, 
Um, and anywhere else that you listen to your podcast, it's just Black Girls Having Anxiety too. Give us a follow. Um, share it with somebody who you think may need it. Um, I'm also on a platform called Bullhorn, uh, B-U-L-L-H-O-R-N dot F-M. Um, that's where we do some live episodes. If you want to join us, you're able to call in, ask questions, chat with other people that are listening. Um, feel free. But yes, give us a follow, share it with a friend. Absolutely. Yeah. Download yeah. some episodes. <laughs> yeah. And while you're at it, because it takes 0.2 seconds of your entire lifetime, scroll to the bottom and give five stars. Like yes. give the, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Leave a um, review. A good leave review. a review. Yes. <laughs> literally. Yes. Cause I, I got mad. I saw like, I think y'all have like, like, and it's phenomenal. Y'all have 4.8 stars, but I'm like, uh, uh-uh. it needs to be five stars. Like, <laughs> what you. are you even saying? <laughs> that could make it less than that. And it's, and it's of course someone that didn't write a review. So they just, they just yeah, left the star. The yeah. Whatever. I hope you're having a great day. Yeah. Like the <laughs> mic is off uh, four stars. <laughs> yeah. But if you could leave a review, uh, whether it be Apple, Spotify, wherever, I always appreciate, appreciate that. Um, give us a follow on Instagram and Instagram, um, share our stuff. Um, yeah, this was great. This was awesome. Fun. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your Saturday. Again, thank you so much for being on. And it was awesome getting to talk to you. Yes, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Today's music was written and produced by Tyler O'Brien. You can find him on Instagram at dreamscape, D-R-E-A-M-S-C-A-P-E. And follow his band at wastelander underscore band on Instagram.